Blog Talk Radio. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Big Grips. Big Grips Frame is the original big and squishy case for iPad. It's lightweight, durable, and non-toxic. Loved and trusted by schools and families across the country and around the world. Grab Big Grips today at BigGrips.com. This is the Respecting Autism radio show with your host, Gil Tippy. Jazz improvisation uh, was has no name, and the reason it has no name is because it was a student at the Rebecca School, a kid who is diagnosed with a neurodevelopmental disorder of relating and communicating. That was him um, jamming on the on the xylophone, and a music therapist who was improvising on a piano. And music therapist's name is Kenji Takeda. Kenji. Uh, is a classically trained pianist and is an improvisational music therapist, a Nordoff Robbins trained music therapist. And if you don't know what that is, we're going to spend some time in future shows talking about Nordoff Robbins music therapy and music therapy at Rebecca School and music therapy in the world in general and its importance in the world of autism. I just thought that jazz improv was such a cool thing that I wanted to use it from here on in as my intro song for the show Respecting Autism. And you're listening to Respecting Autism, and I'm Gil Tippy. I'm your host. We're really lucky today. We have some really cool people on the show. We've got um, a couple of special educators from the public school in the state of uh, Vermont, and uh, we have the educational supervisor at Rebecca School. So today on the show, Catherine Grossarth um, from Wells, Vermont, she's a special education teacher in a small public school in Wells, Vermont, uh, is here to talk about how she took some of the things that she heard at a conference that I presented at along with Ray Leeper, who is also a guest on this show today. She's going to talk about how she took the DIR model, the DIR floor time model, and applied it to working with her kids in her school in Wells, Vermont, and the tremendous success she's had in the, over the last three months and the changes that she's seen. Um, she brought along with her today Barb Festa. Barb is a special ed supervisor also in Wells, Vermont, and um, she has a real interest and a real eye for mathematics curriculum. And uh, she was taken over by by uh, Catherine's enthusiasm, and she wanted to take a look at the Rebecca School and, and see what was going on. And she is quite aware that uh, there is nothing inconsistent between the IR floor time and the Common Core standards 
and math education. And our third guest today is, um, and Ray has been a friend of mine and a colleague for a long time. And Ray is the education supervisor at the Rebecca School, and she's responsible for having created a really cool uh, curriculum. So uh, those are our three guests for today. So welcome, you guys. Uh, welcome, Catherine. Welcome, Barb. And welcome, Ray. Um, so here's how it went. Ray and I got invited up to Vermont to talk to the special education teachers summer camp, which is a great name for it, I think. <laughs> and um, it was three days of having a chance to talk to some really cool special educators in the state of Vermont about um, ideas that we had about working developmentally with kids in appropriate relationship-based ways. And um, as a result of that, now we're in chilly December in New York City. Here we are at the Rebecca School on, on uh, 30th Street in, in Manhattan. And um, as a result of that, Catherine has developed this really cool um, reading and literacy curriculum based on some of the ideas that Ray presented, I think Ray mostly, I really covered the DIR stuff, um, and then came down and brought Barb with her to uh, take a look at the Rebecca School. So I guess what I want to ask, and I'm going to direct this at you first, Catherine, is um, so tell me, why did, why did this catch fire with you, and why did you want to do it, and what have you done, and, um, you know, just all of that stuff. Um, we came to the training out of desperation. Um, last year was a terrible year in many ways, um, and I'm so glad I came to the training um, because everybody's happy now. Um, it's using DIR and using literacy this literacy curriculum has really changed everybody's lives, the teachers, the parents, the children, myself. I mean, it's really changed what we, what we do and how we do it, and it's really paying off. Um, we're getting kids who were really not at all participating with their peers or with a teacher or in a curriculum who, who are reading now and are in the classrooms and um, we're just having a lot of success and it's, um, it's fun and it's fun to have fun and in the past I feel like when things weren't working, um, you know, we were told you're not doing it hard enough or long enough or, you know, you're not giving them, giving them enough M&Ms. And now, you know, somebody finally asked, are you laughing and are you having fun? Because if you're not, it's not going to work. And it was really nice to be told we can have fun and we are having fun. And the kids want to come to school. And I, I love my job this year. Um, you know, I really just can't say enough about how this has changed so many lives in our little school in Vermont, and, and I'm just really excited about this work. Um, I think parents um, would love to 
be able to just have fun with their kids, you know, and very few people are giving them permission. Just sit down and play and have a good time. And, and that's easy to do. I think we have the easier role, or at least I do as a, as a clinical psychologist in my private practice, not in my Rebecca school work. But I can just say to parents, I'll sit down, have some fun, play with them, you know, and that's what people expect at, you know, at home, even though they don't play much anymore, they mostly do in other things. But when it comes to turning it into a school curriculum, and uh, particularly you guys uh, in the public schools, when it comes to turning it into a school curriculum, that's a whole different uh, kettle of fish. Because uh, to say to teachers, well, you should just be having fun, it doesn't seem to me the way that things have, have been going recently. So how does having fun actually um, turn into good, solid, um, formidable public school curriculum. <laughs> oh. Ray is laughing. I don't, I don't see Catherine laughing, so I don't know. It is a challenge, and it is a tough sell. And, you know, in, in the past years when someone would walk into my special education room and I'd have a kid and we were laughing, I immediately justified what we were doing. Um, I've let go of that. I, I don't feel like I need to do that anymore. And, and if you're questioning us, then come see us and come see these kids reading out of books and um, retelling stories, um, being fully engaged. I think it's, uh, it's in the come and look evidence, yeah. right? Yeah. Come and see what's going on. Yeah. Uh, you told the story earlier today about a kid, in fact, you told us during the summer, you told me and Ray about a kid who was uh, spinning a string an awful lot and who was stimulating his visual system and really was spending a lot of time looking at this string and anything whenever he could find a string. I remember you telling us that was sort of difficult, in fact, to keep strings away from him. Um, so, uh, we watched, uh, this is not fair to you guys who are listening today, because we watched an amazing video of this kid. But you want to talk a little bit about that transformation? Yeah, through using this program um, methods, we um, have been able to engage this child um, to the point where he read a story in his first grade classroom to a peer um, and when he went home that night, mom came in the next day and she said to me, I never thought my kid would read. And, and you know, another parent has said something to me like, I, I never thought my child, a five-year-old, would be doing five-year-old things. Very cool. Um, Barb, why are you here? Why did you come down to the beautiful Rebecca School in the middle of the winter? <laughs> I'm here because I'm the literacy specialist and math specialist at our school. And when Catherine returned and a couple of other teachers returned from the summer camp, they were so excited. And I've been able to be a part of that and some of the development of Catherine's been doing with some of these students. And because... I'm involved with all the students at our school. I really am interested in what's working for each and every one. And right now we're working on really developing thinking skills and play skills um, just to do with learning. So that's been um, 
really, really exciting to get involved with and watching kids playing and thinking because they, they're having to use those thinking skills. And we're using that in some other areas, in our math areas. And well, you want to talk a little bit about math, too, because we're going to end up, I know us, we're going to end up talking a lot about literacy. We're going to be talking a lot about, you know, language. But math is so important in terms of the public discussion right now, mm -hmm. the zeitgeist in education and, you know, all of the statistics you see where the United States is now falling behind every other industrialized country in terms of uh, actual technical and math skills. So you want to talk a little bit how, how do you plan to do this in math? Well, I think we're looking at thinking strategies in math and how to think of how do you come up with that answer and you come up with it one way and I come up with it another way and how do we, what are those strategies? And to hear the kids talk about that and to be able to say to them that your strategy is, is correct and your strategy is correct, but they're not the same. And to, to be able to be, to kind of um, celebrate that with students. And so we're using it in some of our, um, just math in their in their math computation, just understanding different ways to make numbers and using different motor um, examples where they might be throwing a ball to talk about one and one, or they might be drawing it in rice with their finger. One plus one is two, and that they can say, "Well, I I took because I knew I had two, and I knew that the one." finger and the other finger equal two, um, or that is two, or, and then they'll come up with a totally different strategy for finding that. So it's really getting them to express those thinking strategies. And so it's really the difference between saying, okay, here's the, the, the memory-based way by which you arrive at these uh, conclusions, these, these sums, versus internalize what a number actually is here and actually be able to say, okay, now that I understand on some really core level what I'm dealing with, now I can manipulate them in a thousand different ways. Um, and that's the difference. You know, we're talking another buzzword these days is the core standards, you know. We have, so we're going to have to deal with the core standards. And the point of which, I think, although I may be mistaken, the point of the core standards, I think, might be that they want to teach thinking skills. Right, so right. it seems to me this is directly aligned with what the goals of the core standards, the core standards must be. Yeah, I would agree, and I think that, you know, we're just trying to get the kids to start to verbalize that or show us um, their thinking and to express their thinking. And to have some space in which you can actually, where it matters that you're expressing your thinking. I know that to create a space where you have time to think, you know, our kids, the kids we're talking about here, um, generally have real uh, challenges in processing. Um, and so they may be actually cooking something up there, but a regular classroom is moving in such a way that boom, 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 if you're not the fastest, if you haven't got your hand up, you know, the next thing is moved along. Well, a kid may really be cooking a great idea, but not able to get it out. And so um, it seems to me like leaving space is part of it. So, so I want to ask Ray, who's one of the, the great geniuses at the Rebecca School, who has actually spent years creating this 
uh, literacy curriculum based around fairy tales. Um, I won't say she's the only person who had any part in it, but really she's one of the major geniuses behind it. Um, I want to ask um, what it's like to go up to Vermont and then project this stuff for two days, and then six months later, or less than six months later, to see it sort of come back, reimagined through someone else in a public setting. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, um, you guys are showing me videos, and it's, it's so wonderful to hear um, that this approach is really fostering kids to be um, active and engaged students. And, you know, here at the Rebecca School, we have a DIR for science philosophy, um, and there's a lot of components of that in the literacy piece of it is a part of that. But I do think that it's, you know, you um, don't necessarily have a, a DIR for time model in your program, but that you're, you're infusing this in and that it's sort of catching fire with kids and, and really getting them excited about learning, and it's just really exciting to see. Wonderful. Yeah, I wanted to ask uh, you, Ray, about um, some of the advantages of this fairy tale piece mm -hmm. and this repetition, because uh, earlier, Catherine, you were saying, you know, they repeat it, and we read it, and we go over it again, and we get familiar with the language. So I wanted to ask you, because I know you have an opinion about mm -hmm. this, about what's going on for the kids when you do that kind of a mm -hmm. thing. Well, first, I think the, the thing that's exciting about fairy tales um, is that it's infused with these uh, universal themes that uh, people, adults, children find thrilling. So, you know, even in The Three Little Pigs, this idea of sort of innocent and menacing and this idea of prey and predator. Um, and in some versions, uh, in, in my opinion, the best versions, some of the pigs get eaten. Um, and what we've found is that our kids, they don't want the sanitized version. They want the one with the high affect and the excitement and, and the winning and losing and the good and evil. Um, because even though our students are having challenges expressing some of their ideas, these themes are universal for us all about figuring out um, what is the difference between good and bad? What does it feel like to be tricked? What does it feel like um, to be taken advantage of, to be lied to, right? And so those are big ideas that I think sometimes we want to keep children away from, but all children really struggle with those ideas. And so you put them in a safe context, like a fairy tale with animals, um, and then this repetition piece of um, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin and, you know, these rhythmic phrases really creates a container for kids to, to latch on to things that they're already wondering about in their inner world, but they might not have the play skills or the words to really talk about them. Um, and then I think that the repetition piece is really key because um, our kids have at times a smaller learning window because of all the other competing things that they have to kind of um, maintain. So there are sensory systems, the, the noise outside, the, the idea of Thomas the Tank Engine show that they watched last night that they want to relive. Um, there's a lot of competing information, I think, for our kids to sort of work through. And so what's really important is, is this repeated, 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 because if the kid doesn't get it the first time, they might get it the third. Um, and then one piece that's really important for me is that my goal is that kids feel confident and that they feel 
that they have mastery over things. And I think that that's something that everybody deserves to have. They all des- everybody deserves to feel like, I got this. You know, I, I know this inside and out. And I think about how rare that is for a lot of our kids um, and how much of their day and their life is understanding just a sliver of something. Um, and I think they deserve to understand the whole piece. So it's really important for me to say, it's okay. <laughs> you might have you might have gone to Topham Hat Land in the last time, and we'll just do this again, and uh, I'm going to join this with you. And I think an, a big piece of struggle uh, that we sort of laugh at in our department, and I'm sure you guys, is that uh, we get sick of it way before they do. <laughs> and the teachers will say, like, oh, my God, please. You know, like, aren't you guys over this book? And they're not. Um, and, you know, those of us that spend time with, with all types of children, all children love to reread things, um, typical or, or neurodiverse amongst us all. We all like to, to watch that same movie that we love, read that same book over and over, um, relive that thing that just makes us feel good. Um, and that's what we want to give for our kids here as well. Uh, one of the things that I think I actually said from the stage when we were doing this training up in Vermont was that things learned in the in your parent the crook of your parents' arm really doesn't matter exactly what it is. So if you're reading the same book over and over again, it's that deep emotional attachment. And I was so gratified to watch a video earlier that you showed where, you know, you just had your arm around a kid and you were reading a book and you could tell uh, he reached up and he touched your hair with his hands and you could tell he was sort of in that blissful and deeply connected moment, but that's when everything's cooking. That's when everything's firing, you know, and it's so hard to do that, I think, sometimes in the public school setting. So anybody can answer this and I'm just going to throw out there so where do you go next? Where are you guys planning to go with your ideas or what's the next step for you and how can we help and how can people help? So you got an idea? Um, I think this is really important work. I think it needs to be a little bit more accessible. Um, you know, as a special educator, I I don't have a lot of time, and I think that it would be really great to get this in a more formalized curriculum. Um, we've already started talking about developing our own text with a little bit more of a focus on um, the actual print. Um, um, you know, I hope this does get go far. I hope that it is accessible to more people. Um, I really do believe in this. So you mean uh, when you're talking about the, the this curriculum, you're talking about the fairy tale notion, taking these traditional stories that, as Ray pointed out, are just like charged with generations worth of, you know, lying and tyranny and blood and love and all the really <laughs> all these mayhem theories, right? All these mayhem uh, situations, um, and then situating text in such a way that. Um, it's a, you were saying earlier about it would be a major portion of the page, so kids wouldn't be able to only rely on uh, the pictures. Um, so actually putting out some kind of production. I think that the what really makes it work isn't necessarily the fairy tales. I think that's a really good vehicle. I think what really is making this work is using 
DIR as a framework. I think it's it truly is about the engagement. I mean, you could probably use just about anything if they're truly engaged. I think fairy tales do it the best. Um, but I think it's it's DIR that's really working. So it's, it, it really is getting the gleam in the kids' eyes yeah. and getting them engaged and having them be. you feel the same way about the math piece? Part? I do. I do because I see it with the students when they come up with it and they think about it and they manipulate and they look at you like, oh, I got it. And this is how I did it. Mm -hmm. And how are you going to, how did you do it? What are your ideas? You know, it's just this whole thinking process. And I think that's part of being engaged is they're thinking about stuff mm -hmm. and they're, you know, they're able to interact with you about it. They're, it's okay to interact. And I think interaction is, is uh, the base of it. Well, and I, I love the way you're talking about it, Barb, in terms of understanding this is how I got it, this is how you got it, and they're both right. Isn't that such a hard thing? <laughs> a lot of adults, <laughs> but especially kids um, that have some of these challenges, that the idea that someone has a different idea than you right. and that those mo both might be valid. And that what a gift that is to infuse into something more traditional like math because that's really what, going back to the developmental piece, that's really the pieces that kids need to, to reach the higher level skills is to understand whether it be um, solving for an equation or understanding the different perspectives of the wolf and the pig. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's really what literacy and thinking-based um, academics are about. And I think it's true that if thinking is valid, mm -hmm. that um, there is it's not wrong or right thinking. It's your thinking and how you came up with it and how did you come up with it. And as you kind of sort through that, oh, maybe this is what I need to do next. Mm -hmm. And, okay, maybe I need to try this next. Because how do I get there? And it's just using all those, being allowed to use that, mm -hmm. being validated to use that. And, you know, it's so funny. You guys are talking about one of the big issues in autism and one of the big issues in autism education. And that is, how am I going to have a kid like, uh, this kid in my inclusion classroom. And what you're really addressing, what you are really saying is if you can take the perspective of the wolf and the pig, or if you can take the perspective of uh, I thought of this way to do it, but you thought of that way to do it, you've already addressed one of the big bugaboos, right, which is theory of mind. That, oh, you know, kids can't take a, kids on the spectrum can't take other people's perspective. Well, of course they can. When they're engaged, when they're thinking, when they're doing all that. So um, you've answered the question of how do you put these kids in an inclusion classroom? Because you're actually, through the methodology, you're already addressing all of that beautiful stuff. It's really pretty cool. Um, and people would say, oh, that's one of the primary symptoms of autism spectrum disorder. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, when they're engaged and when they're thinking, it's not. You know, this ambiguity I think we need to talk about just for a second, too. Having ambiguous outcomes and ambiguous situations that kids have to think through is the work, right? Go, you were going to? Yeah, um, but I think one of the most important things you taught me is that it's about the process and not the product. 
you know, you're teaching kids how to think, not to come up with this beautiful play or a perfect worksheet. It's, that's not what it's about. It's about getting them to think, and, and it's about the process. We were laughing earlier. I was in a classroom yesterday, um, and the kid came back from the microwave, which was right outside the classroom, and he had, was eating waffles. And he didn't bring waffles. That was not at lunch. And they were like, where'd you get those waffles? And he's like, I found them. They're mine. I, I found them. I heated them up. They're mine. And it started this, like, 20-minute conversation between the kid and the other kids and the teacher about what does it mean? Like, what does mine mean? And what does ownership mean? And then the teacher came in wearing that kid's backpack because he had left it in the hallway. And wait, that's mine. Well, I found it. Is it mine? mine? And all the kids were weighing in whether it was okay that he ate the waffles or not. And um, it was just such a beautiful moment of sort of this idea of, like, process over product. Like, you know, he still ate the waffles. <laughs> still not okay. But at the end of the day, this sort of, you could see him, like, really trying to piece together, like, where did I go wrong? Was it wrong? Am I okay? And that's really what, we want them kids. We want them to wonder about those gray areas. And, and you know, uh, you're, so you're addressing Kohlberg, right? You're all of these uh, more moral levels that we always say, oh, kids have to reach these different moral levels. Well, there's a level at which you can, you know, a child will think he's lying if he's telling an, uh, an untruth, even though he didn't know the truth. Um, and then that's what you're addressing, right? So we're talking about moral education as well. And it really all comes just from respecting the kid and saying, your ideas are good, give me your ideas, let's work it through. And I should point out also that the kid who lost the waffles got more waffles. Yeah. So it wasn't an, end, wasn't an end to the waffles for the kid who needed the waffles, by the way. And uh, so, but it's really cool that you don't think, everybody's got a different theory but it all boils down to if you just treat kids with respect, imagine that they have something useful in their heads that they can actually think about and that they could share with you if you would just give them enough time and enough support, then that's what, that's what all of this education should boil down to. you guys have any closing thoughts? Because you've been so interesting that I've had to do very little here. Well, I just want to thank you. This was a great day for us. Oh, thanks. Well, we, we were so proud to have you here, and we just thank you so much. And thank you for coming on the show. I really, I really deeply appreciate it. Catherine, thank you. Thank you. Ray, thanks so much. So much. That's great. That's great. So you have been listening to the Respecting Autism radio show on the Coffee Clatch Special Needs Radio Network. I want to thank you. And we'll be we'll be meeting again soon.